If you have a, a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to 1 Timothy chapter 5. And we want to pick up our study in verse uh, 17 through 25. But this morning, uh, we want to look at this topic, honor the elders of the church. And he's not necessarily speaking about uh, the older ones in the church, because he spoke about that in the previous study. But he's speaking about the elders, the bishops, the, the pastors uh, of the church, those that oversaw the ministry. So in our last study of 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul encouraged Timothy in verses 1 through 16 in the responsibility of the church concerning the care of the elderly. And then he spent some time after two verses on the elderly Concerning the widows in the church. The responsibility that falls upon the church to take care of and not to neglect the widows of the church. Now, Paul made it clear, make sure that those widows do not have grandchildren and children that are able to sustain them. But those that were left alone, the church was to take care of them. We saw that in the early church in the book of Acts in chapter 6. As there was a discrepancy because the Hebrew widows were being taken care of. And basically, uh, the Hellenists or the Greek widows were being neglected. And so the complaint came uh, to the disciples. And uh, basically, they said, choose seven men among you. And so we saw the deacons of the church. And that responsibility to take care of the widows then and still today. But now Paul comes into this next section. Remember that these are... Uh, epistles that are used in leadership. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and the book of Titus. And so Paul is writing to Timothy that he placed there in Ephesus. Timothy is basically the bishop there, the overseer. And he has been giving instructions. We go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and the instructions that were given and the qualifications of the leadership. And now he says to honor the elders of the church. Now, there's a threefold message this morning. If you're taking notes, in verses 17 and 18, Paul speaks about paying the salary of those elders, pastors that are in the church, that the church is able to sustain them. Now, here's the key, and I'll make it mentioned throughout the study, providing that the funds are there. Providing that the church has the finances. Because how can an elder, a pastor, a minister take from the body of Christ if the finances are not there? And I go back to the beginning of the ministry and, you know, I came in and I started teaching and preaching and ministering. And there was no funds available and I didn't expect any funds available. The church was young. The church was small. And then so we went to work. And we see that scripturally. In fact, pastors will tell you when they're young in the Lord, uh, are you still doing your tent ministry? And they're making reference to Paul the Apostle. That Paul took no salary from any of the churches, but he was a tent maker. He made tents during the day, and then in the evening, Paul would minister. He would preach, he would teach, and he would plant churches. But there's something interesting. Paul was never against the salary, but he did not partake of the salary. On your own, if you study the book of Philippians, in the letter to the Philippians, Paul makes reference and he thanks them. Thank you for your finances towards my ministry, towards me, basically. And so we don't know if the Philippians made a one-time gift to Paul or if the Philippians sustained Paul. So the salary was available. Now we know in the book of Acts that Paul also met up with a couple named Aquila and Priscilla, and they were tent makers by trade. And so Paul made tents with them. And he was able to share Christ with them. They come to know the Lord, and, and then they go out and continue their tent making. And so it's important to see this. So Paul speaks just two verses, and we're going to draw from there, paying the salary of the elders of the church. And verses 19 through 21, now he deals in another position, the importance of disciplining 
the elders of the church. Now, not just the elders of the church or the church leadership, but rightfully so. But also the scripture makes provision to discipline those in the church, in the body of Christ, that are in sin and continue in sin. Sometimes they have to be brought forth. And we're going to go through that in Matthew chapter 18. There is, you know, a protocol. But I find this interesting. You can mark it down. We'll go back to it later. In Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says that God chastens those that he loves. I don't know if you've ever been chastened by the Lord, correction by the Lord. Basically, God takes us through trial, tribulation to speak to our hearts. But God chastens those that he loves as even we, the parents, that have children and we have to chasten them. And so sometimes God has to, listen, take us through the fire. Sometimes God has to chip away the old man, the old woman. And so rightfully so to the leadership. But what about the body of Christ? And then we come to the conclusion, verses 22 through 25. And Paul encourages Timothy in the importance of selecting and ordaining, laying hands upon other elders in the church. Not just the ones that were there at Ephesus, but Paul was into planting churches. And so that others would be raised up in the church, the body of Christ. Well, one thing that Paul said to Timothy, he says, don't be so hastily to lay hands upon these. Make sure they're proven. And even then, when they're proven, they're tested, and outwardly, they look like material that God's going to use. But inwardly, there's hidden sin sometimes. It happens in the body of Christ. It happens in the leadership of the body of Christ. We see it in the newspapers. They're quick to to bring it forth. But Paul speaks here about honoring the elders of the church. Now, let's begin here. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Look at verse 17 with me. And he begins just in these two verses. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and the doctrine. Verse 18, for the scripture says, and he goes back to the Old Testament, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And he says in the labor, then he goes to the New Testament, is worthy of its wages. And so Paul takes two verses. Now there's other verses, and we'll go to some of them in just a minute. But notice verse 17. The word elders here is the word presbyteros, and an elder can mean the elderly man. But here Paul is also speaking of the elders of the church, those who have rule over you. The word to rule over you, those who preside over you in your spiritual life. Let them be counted or let them be entitled worthy of a double honor. Now, the Greek word here for a double honor is interesting. A double price of oil, that's what he's speaking of. A double price of wheat, a double price of medicine. And then he clarifies it through the Holy Spirit. Give a double portion to those who labor, to those who work hard in teaching you The gospel of Jesus Christ. Sound doctrine. Healthy doctrine. It's important to see this. This word of God. And so what Paul's speaking of in verse 17, and we're going to see it in verse 18 again, and this is salary for the pastors. The NIV says here, especially those who work hard at both the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. The preaching, teaching of the ministry. That's exactly what Paul did. That's what I do on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday. That's what Pastor Jeff does. That's what Pastor Jay does. And I thank the Lord that uh, the opportunity has been given in our ministry that I take a salary. Pastor Jeff takes a partial salary. Pastor Jay works full-time outside of the ministry. He doesn't take a salary. It's not available. But I thank the Lord 
for the years that he sustained us. Now, uh, the truth to the matter is, if the finances aren't there, I will go back and do a secular job if need be. But continue in the preaching and teaching of the Word of God because it's not for the financial gain, but it's because it's a call upon the heart of that man, that woman, that God calls to the ministry. So then Paul gives the example of the Old Testament. Look at verse 18 now. The Scripture says, and so Paul uses an Old Testament passage out of Deuteronomy 25, verse 4, and then he uses a New Testament passage that Jesus brought forth in Luke chapter 10, verse 7. In the Old Testament, when the oxen made the grinding a stone go round and round, crushing the grain, the oxen would not be muzzled. He would not be muzzled. He was not kept from eating the grains of his labor. So it's obvious that the beast of burden ate of his labors. Well, what about the man of God? What about the elders of the church? What about the pastor, the, the minister? If the funds are available. And Jesus brings this forth, and this is the second portion. It, it kind of uh, coincides with, let the muzzle now be placed on the ox and let him partake of the grain. And so Jesus is speaking about the 70 that were sent out to do the ministry. And Jesus was sending these 70 ministers. And they were to bring forth the word of God. He urged them in previous passage there in Luke chapter 10. He urges them to go to the house. And the house that takes you in, let them bless you. Now, Jesus gives this beautiful passage that the laborer is worthy of his hire. The workman is worthy of his hire. He has a due reward. And I like what Paul says, a double portion. I think it's important uh, to sustain the pastors in a teaching ministry, in a giving ministry. And God has done that. But yet at the same time, if the finances aren't there, you can't take blood out of a turnip, right? And so you quit because uh, the finances aren't there? No, God's placed the call. And so you do what Paul's done. He preached, he, he, he taught the word of God, but then he also, he made tents. And so that can go back and forth. And thank God, in the years we've been here, God has sustained us. Now, I want you to turn to a passage because I want to take it further. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7 through 14. And again, I have to mention this. Paul, he took no salary, but yet the church at Philippi, the Philippians took care of Paul financially. Was it one time or was it continual? But in the letter to the Philippians, Paul thanked the Lord for them. Praise God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 7. And Paul's making reference now to those that took financial gain in the particular type of work they were in. Talks about the soldiers. Whoever goes to war at his own expense, no. They get a salary. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Well, we know that the farmer obviously partakes of his own fruit. Or who tends to the flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? And so those that were run the dairy products. Again, it was there for you also. Verse 8, do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? And he goes on into verse 9. For it is written. And so Paul goes back with the Corinthians now to the law of Moses. And he quotes the same verse that he did as he's writing to young Timothy. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Is it the oxen? Yes, in a sense, but listen. He goes, or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes, that is, in hope, should be partakers of his hope. Now, imagine you own the oxen. The grain's being brought in. You've got the big stone there. You hook up your oxen, and the oxen goes round and round. 
and the crane, you know, the, the wheat is crushed and such, and, and then you got the grain. Now, if, if the oxen stops, he's thirsty or he's hungry. You say, well, I'm not going to feed you, and I'm not going to give you nothing to drink. Well, the oxen ain't going nowhere after that. So you take care of his needs. How much more the needs of the elders, the pastors. Notice verse 11, then he explains it. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even the more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a hard place for a minister to work full-time outside of the ministry and to work full-time in the ministry. Every day in this ministry of ours, there is something to do. And I thank the Lord for the other pastors that are able to do them, and I'm given the opportunity to study and to pray. And that's all scriptural. And yet, if we have to work, then we have to work. And he goes on in verse 12. If others are partakers of this right over you, we are not even the more. Nevertheless, we have not used this right. He goes on into verse 13. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? So he goes back to the Old Testament. The Levitical priesthood did not have any land. When they did the parcels of the land in the Old Testament, they gave to all the tribes. But to the tribe of Levi, because they were in the ministry, they didn't own property. And so they were given the financial gain. When the people would come to the temple, when the people would make their offerings, they were given the meats of the offerings. When we saw the showbread and the breads were there, after the breads you know, had spent the time uh, on the table of showbread, they would take those breads and it was given over to the Levitical priesthood. And so they were able to partake. And so Paul is making this reference. He goes in verse 14, the conclusion. Even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Yet Paul never took a salary. But Paul was not against the salary. He was not opposed to the salary. But the church at Philippi took care of his needs. And bottom line, it was the Lord. Yet Paul was a tent maker by trade. And so the beauty of this. And he told the seven, go out, trust the Lord. In fact, he said, don't take bag with you. Speaking of the bag of finances. And in the ministry, it's not about the finances, but it's about trusting God. And these are things that I had to learn. I am one that believes strongly that a pastor, a minister, an elder, when he goes in to a ministry to work uh, the work of the ministry, he should not take a salary. Let him learn, listen, how to pray. Let him learn, listen, how to trust God. In Genesis chapter 22, remember the story? We've brought it forth many times. Abraham and Isaac go up into the mountain, and they're going to make a sacrifice unto the Lord. And this is a hard place for Abraham because God has already told him, bring your son, your only son, and sacrifice him to me. What God was looking for in Abraham was obedience. And we know the story when he was going to come down and plunge the knife into Abraham, unto his son Isaac, that is. The angel comes and stops him. Now God knows that you love him. And then remember, Isaac said, Isaac had gone uh, to minister with his father many times. Now the Bible says in the Old Testament he was called a lad. In the Hebrew, the word lad could easily mean that he was a young teen, even up to his early 20s. He was not a little boy as we see sometimes in Sunday school. He was old enough to carry the bundle of wood and to go up and make sacrifices with dad. He'd done it before. And when he took him off of the altar, think of the obedience of Isaac. But when he took him off the altar and he says, so what shall we use for the sacrifice? Remember the words? Abraham said, God will provide. And he named that place Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. 
Why? Because he heard in the thicket and he turns around and there was a ram that was caught for the offering. Jehovah Jireh. And church, I can honestly tell you, and the ministry here can tell you, that God has provided. One of the hardest things that was for me just the last several months, we've been praying, we've been asking you to pray about going on the radio. And the finances were there, but they can so easily diminish. There were certain people that gave certain amounts of money. It was the radio program. And now we're on there, but it doesn't take much to deplenish right away. And we stepped out by faith. Lord, you're our Jehovah Jireh because this is an added expense. Provide, Lord, because I will not go on the radio and I will not come up unto the pulpit and say, you need to give extra. We don't do that. Some of you that are new, you'll see at the end, we just pray for the offerings quick. That's it. We have to trust God. God is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. And as he gives to us, we give back. The Lord is good. Now, Paul dealt with providing for the elders. He was one. Philippian church took care of him. Was it all the time? Was it one time? But Paul was also a tent maker. Now, let's go back to our text. And now he deals with the second position. Verses 19 through 21, the importance of disciplining the elders in the church. If you've been a Christian long enough, there's been some antics done in the ministry. We see it on the radio. We see it on TV. And then all of a sudden, you know, the news people in the TV get a hold of these guys. And they bring down the ministry. And there's no, you know, nothing done up front. No creditability. And it's sad. When the world, the secular world, brings down a ministry. And so the disciplining that takes place. He begins here in verse 19. Do not receive an accusation against an elder or a leader except from uh, two or three witnesses. When accusations come forth in the ministry, and they will, be it in the leadership or of the leadership or of the body of Christ. The word accusation, when the complaints come forth, they come against the elder of the church, the pastor, the minister of the church, let it be with at least two or three witnesses to accuse him. And that scripture in the Old Testament, again, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. What's interesting, the Jews were very adamant to practice that. Two or three witnesses, two or three witnesses. It is still a stronghold today. Most court of laws require at least two or three witnesses. The sad part, put their hand in the Bible, they raise their hand. Yes, I do. And God, I take this oath. And then they lie to their, their teeth. We just took a de- deposition not too long ago. And, and it's kind of weird, you know. Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth? Yes, I do. And, you know, you stand there. You've got a responsibility. And then we hear of so many people that perjure themselves. So many people that lie. I mean, it's just mechanical. Oh, I'll put my hand in the Bible. I'll raise my right hand. But it's meaningless. Then Jesus said, let your yes be yes. Let your no's be no. So important to see this. And so... Let there be two or three witnesses in the accusation. Because trust me, people will accuse and they have no foundation. Let there be foundation. Look at verse uh, 20 now. Those who are sinning. Now these are the ones that have to be chastened. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. Anyone who sins should be rebuked in front of the whole church so that others will will properly fear of God. Now, before we jump to conclusions, we see somebody do something wrong. We see an elder out there, take your parking spot. You run in. I tell the church, they took my parking spot. No, there's a process. And we're going to go to that in just a minute in Matthew chapter 18. But I want to clarify this, not just the leader in the church, and rightfully so. But anyone who is 
known as a blatant sinner, and they don't want to change. In other words, adultery is a part of their life. Fornication is part of their life or a continued sexual sin of some type, and they don't make a change. The reference that I use is back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Remember, there was a brother, and I, I cringe when I say that word because Paul used it. There was a brother in Corinth that was sleeping with his dad's wife. It was his stepmom. Paul says, rebuke such a one. Now, you continue the 1 Corinthian letter, and that brother does repent and come back to the Lord. And I say, praise God. That's why Paul called him a brother. But if they don't refuse to change, now you go to them, I believe, one-on-one -on -one first, and they don't refuse to change. Then you go two or three witnesses, and then again, they don't refuse to change. Then you take it to the church, the body of Christ. And I thank the Lord that we have never had to do that. But I know pastors that have. Turn with me to Matthew 18. Look at verses 15 through 18. Now, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus gives instructions on dealing with a sinning brother or a sister in the church, in the body of Christ. Leadership or no leadership, and rightfully so, more so for leadership. They have a greater responsibility But anybody in the body of Christ. Again, 1 Corinthians 5, the brother that was lying with his stepmom. In verse 15, we begin here, uh, Matthew 18, Moreover, if your brother or sister sin against you, go and tell him his fault or her fault between you and him or her alone. If he or she hears you, you have gained your brother. I think it's beautiful when you go one-on-one. -on -one. And I've done that in time past. And I hear of a sin nature. I, I make some inquiries, and they're not changing I pray, I ask the Lord, and you know what? Every time, we don't just jump into it, but you pray, you seek the Lord. And when you go to them, if their hearts are truly right with God, God has already ministered to them. Pastor, thank you, because God has spoken to me. But if they don't take heed, look at verse 16. If he or she will not hear, uh, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So Paul goes back to the principle that we spoke of earlier in Deuteronomy. And if he or she, verse 17, refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he or she heeds, he says, or refuses even to hear the church, let him or her be to you like a heathen or a Gentile, and a tax collector. Now you go, now wait a minute. What's the IRS have to do with it? I venture to say none of us have ever invited the IRS agent to our house for dinner. We want to stay away from them. In fact, we don't even really want them to know who I am. Here's my papers. Just read my papers, you know. Well, tax collectors at this time were an abomination to the nation of Israel. What the Romans would do is that they would extract the taxes from you, the Jewish community, but they would put your own Jewish personnel up there. And these guys were tax collectors, and in order to get their wages, they had to kick up the taxes just enough. This was Levi. This was Zacchaeus. And, and this was what they did. And so imagine when Jesus went to break bread or to visit Levi. He was hated. He's not only a Jew, but he's a tax collector that takes from the Jews. An abomination. And so if they're not going to listen to you, they're not going to take heed to one-on-one. -on -one. They're not going to take heed to two or three witnesses. He says, let him or her be like to you a Gentile or a heathen and a tax collector, a publican, much-hated group. Verse 18, assuredly, I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. God honors the church discipline. God honors the decision that is made by the leadership. And I can honestly say after all the years here at Calvary Chapel, we've never asked anybody to leave. And I hope that day never comes. But we want to encourage them. Listen, you're at fault here. Be it the leadership or be it a church member, one in the body of Christ. 
but rightfully so. Sometimes an elder, sometimes a pastor, sometimes, you know, that leader in the church has to be rebuked. Go to that person. Do it with prayer. Cover it with compassion and grace and love. Isn't God compassionate and graceful to us? Now, again, we mentioned this earlier in Hebrews chapter 12. God will chasten, listen, those that he loves. Mom's dad, those of you that are parents, you've had children, you raised them. If you don't discipline your children, the Bible says you don't love them. Well, I'll tell you what, my dad must have loved us quite a bit because we got whipped all the time. Now, my mom, bless her heart, I love my mom. But when my mom would chasten us, we would laugh. She chases with her shoe. We called it a chancla, right? And she's chasing us like, oh, mom. Or the broom. The broom made us laugh more. But then mom would say, listen, I know you don't think I'm punishing you hard enough. I'm going to tell your dad, whoa, back up. Because my dad, would, he was a disciplinarian. He was a dis- Did you do this? Yes. Why? I give you a reason. Not good enough. Turn around, bend over, grab your ankles, and don't make a sound, and we get two whacks. And he meant it, don't make a sound. He never hit us in the face, never hit us in the back. He hit us in the side that God gave us plenty of cushion, and he meant business. And he turned us around, and he looked at us. You're not crying? No, sir. All right, go to your room. Oh, man, bury that head in the pillow and scream. But that was discipline. Bible says God will discipline, God will chasten those that he loves. Parents, you know this. you got to chasten your daughter. you got to chasten your son. And what do you tell them? This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And it's true until, you know, my dad would say, oh, I, I'm sorry, i got to do this. Oh, yeah, you enjoy it. And then when you become a parent, you become a parent. I remember the first time, our oldest daughter, she's what, 35 now, right? I remember when I spanked her in front of my dad. My dad started crying. I go, Dad, what are you doing? You used to beat us, and you didn't care. Now you're crying. But that's my granddaughter. <laughs> Wait till you become grandparents. You'll see. You'll know. And, and so, but God, listen, church, again, God chastens those that he loves. He has to bring correction. Parents, you're raising your children It better be in the ways of the Lord. The Bible says to give correction to your children. I know we're living in a time and a society. Our youngest daughter threatened to divorce us if we spanked her. I go, go for it. Divorce me. Let's see who feeds you. But that's what we hear in our society today. And if they do find black and blue marks, they could literally arrest you. But I tell you what, parents, study the book of Proverbs. Well, listen, today in the 21st century, we have to give little Johnny, little Mary, time out. Oh, if my dad would have given us time out. Oh, I would have done backflips and I can't do one. Can you imagine that? Time out. I'll be able to time out. All right, this is cool. No, we got a whipping. Now, verse 21, he continues. I charge you. I charge you. What the instructions he'd been giving. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe, Timothy, these things without prejudice, doing nothing without partiality. And so the word charge here, listen, what Timothy is saying, my charge or, or Paul saying to Timothy, my witness before God God the Father, that is, and the Lord Jesus Christ, and the holy angels. So this is my testimony. Obey these instructions, Timothy, without taking side or showing special favor to anyone. Now, why does Paul say this? Because in the ministry, listen, sometimes there's friendships involved. Sometimes in the ministry, family is involved. And so sometimes the correction is to a friend in the ministry, and you don't want to do it. And sometimes correction is to a family member in the ministry, and basically you don't want to do it. And so Paul says, 
Let there be no favoritism concerning the sin, because sin is sin in the eyes of God. It must be exposed. It's a radical statement. And see, how are we to, to say we're going to discipline, but we don't follow suit with also the friends, also with the family members? When a sin is exposed, when a sin is brought forth, it has to be, excuse me, exposed. God's brought it to your attention. Turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 16, verses 17 through 20. And so Paul is writing to the church at Rome. And these that do not respond to the chastening of the Lord, these that do not take heed to the correction of the Lord, avoid these. Because basically, Paul says to the church at Rome, they're divisive people. They're division makers. And church, we've had them here in our ministry. So Romans chapter 16, verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, and listen to what Paul says. Mark those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, which you learned and avoid them. Mark those that cause divisions or dissensions. Mark those that cause offenses or, in other words, stumbling blocks. See, if you don't make the correction, then it's going to bite you. Because people say, well, they didn't correct so-and-so. I will get away with it. Verse 18, for those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but they serve their own bellies, their own appetites. And by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And so Paul is giving strong instruction here uh, to the church at Rome. As he's speaking to young Timothy too. When it comes to chastening, when it comes to correction. And if they're not going to take heed, avoid them, expose them. Listen to the word now. Mark them. Didn't Paul call out Hymenaeus and Alexander the coppersmith? Paul called them out by names. Oh, there's people that, uh, brother, you're not supposed to name names. Why not? Paul did. Hymenaeus caused me much harm. Alexander the coppersmith caused me great harm. And when they're affecting the body of Christ, they need to be brought forth. Mark them. You see those? They're division makers. Stay away from them. Very important to see this. Now, we come to the last encouragement concerning the elders to honor them verses 22 through 25 let's go back to our text now the importance paul says to timothy of selecting listen and ordaining elders in the church now this is a hard place because when we've had people that have faltered in leadership through the years you say that's it i'm not going to appoint nobody anymore but you know what god gives you the grace and sometimes people are called and appointed, and it goes to their head. It goes to the, not their heart, but it goes to their head. Well, I got this position now. And you have to be so careful. Because when you appoint somebody, they're there. And to remove them is not an easy task. So the importance of selecting and ordaining elders of the church. In verse 22, he begins... Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure, Timothy. Do not be so quick, listen, to appoint elders. Some of them could be up in age physically. Maybe they have a business outside of the church. Well, they could profit. We can use them. Make sure it's of the Lord. Make sure they're not a novice. Make sure you're, it's not a friend you want to lay hands on. A relative you want to lay hands on. As we mentioned earlier, do not be so quick to appoint an elder. Do not partake of their sin. 
there might be a sin nature that you don't know of. You have to inquire. Paul exhorts, keep yourself pure, Timothy. He says, do not share in, in their sins, but keep yourself pure. Keep yourself innocent. Now, here's two keys. Keep yourself innocent, number one, before God. And secondly, here's the second key. Keep yourself innocent, not only before God, but also before man. Better have a good testimony. You better have a good testimony. And even then, with a good testimony, you have to seek the Lord. Because there, be, there might be hidden sins that you don't know of. Today, because of, of our society, you have to be so careful who you place in children's ministry. There are so many pedophiles out there. Oh, and they come in. Oh, I love children. I want to work with children. It happens in churches throughout the United States of America so easily. You know, there used to be a time when uh, the pastors would come into the church and the kids would jump on the pastor, jump on his lap, hugging him. And Jesus says, suffer the little children to come unto me. But now you have to be careful. Well, I saw that pastor. He put that child on his lap. You have to have a covering. Use wisdom. It's so important to see this. Now, I want to take it further. Go to the epistle of 2 John. It's only one chapter. So go towards the end of the Bible. Revelation back up. Jude back up. And then you'll see the epistles of John. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And so the epistle of 2 John and verse 7. Here's John. Now I bring this forth because I was studying the commentary on Wiersbe. And I love Wiersbe's commentaries. And he's writing this. Concerning, you know, giving us instructions as Timothy's given instructions from Paul. And Wiersbe says, go to John, 2 John chapter, uh, uh, well, it's chapter 1, basically, but verse 7. And he says, beware of the Antichrist deceivers. It was then in the early church. It's still today, church. He begins here in 2 John, look at verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Just because they call themselves a Christian, just because they have a credential on the wall, I'm a pastor, I'm an elder, I'm a deacon, is their heart for God. Just because somebody comes in and says, I'm born again of the Holy Spirit, I want to be an usher at the church. I want to help with children's church. Do they truly know Jesus? You see, a deceiver is not going to tell you the truth. He's going to lie to you. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Verse 8, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whether He says, whosoever transgresses and does not abide in the the." excuse me, in the doctrine, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ, sound doctrine of Jesus Christ, does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son, and we can add the Holy Spirit. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, he says, do not receive him, do not receive her into your house, nor greet them. Especially do not receive them into the ministry. For if he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Oh, we have to be so careful. And church, we're coming to our time in society. If I need, if the church needs somebody to work with the children, it has to be made available eventually uh, to the market out there. And imagine a homosexual, a lesbian, or a pedophile coming in and applying for the job, and we refuse it on those grounds, they could close us down. They could take me to jail. It's going to happen. I pray that the church is hard-puzzled out of here before it does, because I won't, I'll say no. Well, Pastor Bob, I'm going to take you to jail. That's okay. Chaplain Ortega, you belong to the police for the last 15? I'm going to take you to jail. I'm sorry. I can't go against the principles of the scriptures. 
Take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord, if he who greets you shares in his evil also, no, don't share with them. And so Paul, be careful who you lay hands on. Be careful. When that time comes that we have to hire anybody and everybody, then we'll shut down children's ministry, and you're going to have to bring the kids in here because we cannot expose them to those men, to those women that do evil. Go back to our text. Now look at verse 23. Now, this is a beautiful passage. And trust me, I used to be an alcoholic, so most alcoholics know this verse. They might not know any other verse, but they know this one. Isn't there somewhere where Paul told Timothy, have a little bit of ripple? Yeah, but how much? Well, a glass. Well, I brought my own glass, you know. (laughs) Look at verse 20. Some of you have tried that, huh? Look at verse 23. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake, Timothy, because of your frequent infirmities. And so here's the basic translation. Don't drink the water. Instead, drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you're a sick man. Physically, I believe that Timothy was saying, obviously, the water was bad there at Ephesus, or the water there did not agree with Timothy's system. You know, basically, you go deep into Mexico, and the water's not going to be good for you. You're not used to their amoebas, but they come here, and they're not used to our amoebas. Your system gets used to it. And so you know when you leave to a third world country, you're very careful, even in the brushing of your teeth. But Timothy had a stomach problem. Now, I believe Timothy was a young pastor. In the Jewish mind, you couldn't teach until you were at least 30. They didn't consider you a teacher Many believe that Timothy was at least 30, but in ministry, he was a young man. And Timothy was placed by Paul at Ephesus to be the overseer, the bishop. And he had to have trials. I've been in ministry over 25 years, so I know. Trials are part of the church. And trust me, if you let the trials get you, I wouldn't be here 25 years later, I'd be dead because anxiety comes, frustration comes, anger comes, stomach problems come, blood pressure goes. I mean, you name it, it's there. Pastors go through it. Ulcers. This was Timothy. Every time something came up, it attacked him, he was vulnerable. So Paul says, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. Now, it's interesting because you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, the qualifications of an elder, a bishop, or a minister. They were not to drink, period. But here he tells them, partake a little bit. Now, wine could have been medicinal also because of his stomach's sake. We're told today. We hear all the different, you know, they take all kinds of tests and everything. And now we hear, listen, a glass of wine every day is going to keep you from cancer. The problem is, all right, if a glass of wine, what's wrong with a gallon? I've tried them all. Be careful. And, you know, wine will uh, take care of this, take care of that. And so people read into that. Turn with me. I want to just show you this passage. Luke chapter 10, verse 33. I'm not going to read it all, but let me set it up for you. Jesus said concerning the story of the Good Samaritan. And we know the story now. I believe it was a Jewish traveler. He was coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho, about an 8, 10-mile journey. But he had to go through a pathway. There's a rugged area. There's some mountainous area. There's some crevices there you can hide and they would the robbers would hide and they wait and then they pounce on you and beat you and and take of your belongings well the bible jesus giving us a beautiful story 
The traveler comes down, the robbers got him, beat him to a pulp, left him for dead, left him naked. And then here comes a, a Levite. The Levite sees him and he goes to the other side. And then a priest comes by. The priest sees him and he goes to the other side. Now you're a priest, you're a Levite. They said at Jericho there was a school of ministry. Were these guys part of the school of ministry? Well, if so, they were not taking heed to, you know, hospitality, care and concern and compassion. They just were going to leave that guy for dead. A good Samaritan. Now, it's interesting that Jesus uses a Samaritan because the Samaritans were a hated group. They were considered half-breeds, and the Jews hated them. Remember, Jesus went to the Samaritan woman. He purposely went to see her. He went out of his way to see her. And the beautiful story there, Jesus went out of his way to see you when you came to saving grace, to see me, our Damascus highway, the salvation. But when the good Samaritan came, he saw the need. Listen to these two verses real quick. Uh, Luke chapter 10, Jesus says in verse 33, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, speaking of this man that was beat up now, and when he saw him, Underline this, he had compassion. The word compassion in the Greek, it speaks about uh, down deep in the bowel area, down deep in your guts. He had this deep pity for him. He had this deep sympathy for him. And so he went to him, verse 34, he bandaged his wounds, and here's the medicinal purposes. He poured on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. Notice that Jesus said he poured oil and wine on the wounds. Now we know the story. I'm not going to read on further. But he takes him to the inn and leaves him there. He says, i got to do some business. I'm going to leave for a while. Here's two denarii. A denarii basically in those days was a day's wages. He said, I'm going to leave you two days' wages. That would be like us finding somebody over here at the park down and out, and you decide to take care of that person, and then you take him over here to the rescue mission. And listen, take care of him. And here's my debit card. I'll be back in a couple of days, but whatever is needed, use it for him. We don't see that today. And if this man was a traveling Jew. The Levite, the priest, had nothing to do with him. But the Samaritan that were hated, he comes over and he ministers to his needs. Now, let me give you a little more insight. I want you to listen to this. Barnes notes, Albert Barnes is one of uh, my favorite also uh, commentaries. He's an old commentary. He says about 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, uh, Timothy, drink a little wine for thy stomach's sake, because we know that Timothy was sick. Listen to what Albert Barnes says. The wine was not for the pleasure to be derived from the use of the wine or because it would produce uh, hilarity or excitement, but solely because it was regarded, listen, as necessary for the promotion of health. That is, as medicine. Interesting, again, mark this verse down, 1 Timothy 3.3. 3. The qualifications of the elder was not to be given to wine. For the deacon, not to be given to much wine. But for the elder, not to be given to wine, period. <laughs> In the Gospel of John, chapter 2, Jesus turned the water into wine at the marriage feast at Cana. And remember, they said... Hey, why did you save the good wine, the best wine, for the end? You see, the earlier marriage people, the people that were there celebrating the marriage feast, they were drinking cheap ripple. And then when Jesus blessed, the good stuff came out. I don't know what you consider the good stuff. Fill in the blank. Take a little wine for your stomach's sake. Now, I, I want you to see this verse. I'm not advocating this morning that you leave here, go to Albertsons, and load up your card, okay? In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, Paul encourages the church at Ephesus. This is where Timothy's the bishop, right? In verse 17, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And here it is, verse 18, and do not be drunk 
with wine, which is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The King James uses the word excess. The New King James uses the word dissipation. The NIV uses the word debauchery. But I like this in the Greek. Do not be drunk with wine in which is riotous. Riotous. Don't raise your hands, but because I was a drinker, there was a few riots that I caused in my day. I'm not proud of them, but wine is, and strong drink will get you in trouble. Will get you in trouble. But Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. But be not filled with wine, or be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The word filled here in the Greek, be satisfied with the Holy Spirit. Be complete with the Holy Spirit of God in your life. In your life. You know, in all reality, I don't have to get high anymore on wine or drink or whatever it might be. Because bottom line, God has given us a high. Listen, in Him, in His Word. In the power of his Holy Spirit. Oh, I believe that verse is so abused. Take a little wine for your stomach's sake. I believe Timothy had problems. If you've ever traveled, you know, third world countries, and, and we did. A couple of years back, we took off and we landed in Germany. And then from Germany, we took trains. We went all the way uh, to St. Petersburg, Leningrad. And, you know, we took the trains. And we had our water. We had our foods. But we did three weeks of traveling. We ran out of stuff. And it's not like the United States of America. When the train stops, there's no vendors. There's no food cars in the train. Whatever you have, that's what you eat. Whatever you bring to drink, that's what you drink. And Tony and I, the missionary I went with, we ended up drinking water from the train. Oh, I talked to my missionary friends. They said, you are nuts. They said, did you take that, you know, that little gizmo that purifies your water? I said, no. Did you take those pills that purify? I said, no. You didn't get sick? I go, no. What'd you do? I said, we prayed. And honestly, that's what we have to do. God will sustain you. Now, I don't want to talk about what happened to me in New Jersey and Newark. I got sick there. But that's back in the United States. Look at verse 24 and 25. He comes to the conclusion. But before I read it, Paul, in these two verses, is making reference back to verse uh, 22. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily. He says, nor share in other people's sins. He's speaking about the sin nature. Keep yourself pure, Timothy. So verse 24, some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to the judgment. But those, he says, of some men follow later. See, if you never come to saving grace, you will be judged for your sin nature. Man, woman, young, old, middle-aged, doesn't matter. You say, God, that's not fair. No, you brought the judgment on yourself. And then those that hide their sins. Psalm 139 says that you can't hide from God. He is the all-seeing So your sin will be exposed in a later time. And so didn't Jesus say by their, their fruits you're going to know them? The fruit of the Spirit, back in Galatians chapter 22, it starts with love. Now look at verse 25. Now he goes to the other spectrum. Not just uh, the sinner that covers that. Your sins will be exposed. But now he speaks to the believer. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident. And those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. Now you see me week after week. I come up and I teach the word of God. That's my ministry. Pastor Jeff does the ministry that he's been called to. Pastor Jay does the ministry. Ray comes up. He has his ministry. He has those that sit with him and worship and pray. So we all have ministry. Children's ministry, ushers ministry, different types of ministry. Now, we are going to be rewarded for these things. These things that are good and upright. Now, there are some, obviously, we don't know what they do. Now, let me just clarify this. 
Do you know my prayer ministry? No. Do I know your prayer ministry? No. Do I know some of you that maybe give to missions that are not even part of this ministry? Do I know that? No. Do you know what I give outside of, you know, my offerings, my tithes? No. Those things God will reward one day. I like that. You know, Pastor Chuck for many years said, you know, I, I've received a lot of rewards here on this earth. These last 60 years I've served the Lord. Man, I've got a lot of rewards here. And I'm not looking for that many rewards when I get to heaven. The Bible says there are, are seven uh, crowns that are going to be available. Now, one of those crowns is a martyr's death, so maybe you'll never get that. But the possibility of getting six crowns. But I like what one old preacher said. Hey, listen, thank the Lord that he's going to give us crowns, but I don't care. What I want to hear from the Lord when I go through the pearly gates, as they say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter the glory of the Lord. Remember that teaching that was going around years ago in John chapter 14? Jesus says, I go prepare a place for you. And so some of the charismatic circle, listen, the more you build here on this earth, the more you give to this ministry, you're sending up materials to the Lord. He's going to build you a mansion. Hey, I, I could care less about a mansion. In fact, if you get a mansion and I get to sweep the front porch of your mansion, praise the Lord, because I just want to get there. I just want to get there. Because then we'll be working. Oh, I got to send more materials. Got to send, got to go to Lowe's and, you know, got to go over here. No. But there's going to be some rewards that are going to be given. You go, wow, I didn't know that. Wow. Praise the Lord. Let me end with this beautiful verse. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, Jesus says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, uh, to give to everyone according uh, to his work. We are not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. But works come automatically. And then in verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Paul came to Timothy nurtured him. He got saved through Paul's ministry. And then Paul taught him the ropes. And then Paul placed him at Ephesus. It was not easy. That young man went through a lot, so much that he had a stomach problem. He says, take care of that. The waters at that time could have been bad. The water at Ephesus could have been bad. Take a little wine for your stomach's sake. The good Samaritan, he poured wine and oil. The oil symbolic of the Holy Spirit. The wine, medicinal purpose, healing purposes. God said, honor the elders, Timothy. Honor them. What a beautiful picture. And before we end, I just want to thank the Lord. For the honor that he's placed in this ministry through the years, through the years, God is grateful. And I talk to other pastors the same. And we don't push the envelope. We trust God. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your grace, your love, and your mercy, Lord. Father, I pray that there's nobody here this morning with a hidden agenda, a hidden sin. But maybe, Lord. There's somebody, maybe there's one, maybe there's two. They've never come to saving grace. The Bible says that today is the day of your salvation. And I want to give that opportunity. Please do not be embarrassed. I'm not going to ask you uh, to come up, but right there where you're standing. If you're here this morning, passing through, visiting, maybe you've been here before, maybe you've been here for a long time. And you're not giving your life to the Lord. I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm here to ask you. I can't force you. But with every eye closed, every head bowed, if that's you this morning, don't leave here without Jesus. If you're young, you're middle age, or you're old, God is no respecter of persons. If that's you this morning, you'd like to give your life to the Lord, I'm going to pray for you right there and wherever you're at standing. But I need to see your hand. God needs to see your hand. If you'd like to come to Saving Grace this morning, please raise your hand real quick. Anybody would like to receive Christ. Praise the Lord. Then if we're all Christian, 
Oh, praise God. And let's take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord shared with us this morning. Let's pray for the body of Christ. Father, bless your beautiful servants here this morning. Bless them, Lord, far and above and beyond our imagination, Lord. You are so compassionate, merciful, and graceful to us, Lord. As the Samaritan had compassion, you have compassion upon us, Lord. Father, bless your people this morning. Bless them, Lord. Open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings. Lord, heal our bodies, those of us that are ill, those of us that are sick, those of us like, like Timothy. He was a worrier. Like Timothy, he had anxiety. Like Timothy, maybe his blood pressure went up. Maybe he had ulcers. Lord, heal our bodies, Lord. Father, bless the offerings this morning. As you've given to us, we give back a portion. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And we all agree by saying amen. Amen. The ushers are going to come.